I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Chris, and I'm here to help with the aid of a show that marks the crossroads of pro wrestling past and future. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, a classic NXT review podcast for all you marks who want to get smarter about wrestling. And smart fans looking for a reason to mark out again. This week, we're discussing TakeOver Rival, the WWE Network special that originally aired on February 11th, 2015. As Rich Brennan said on commentary, there are friends, there are foes, and then there are rivals. And then there are painfully intertwined wrestle lovers, but we can't call a network special wrestle lovers. So welcome to TakeOver Rival, <laughs> but actually wrestle lovers. <laughs> I've been such a good influence on you. <laughs> Welcome to episode 90 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode set the table for tonight's takeover. Bailey faced off with Becky Lynch in a fuck each other up before the match match in preparation for the four-way women's championship match tonight. Adrian Neville and Finn Balor won their respective semifinal matches in the number one contendership tournament, setting up their collision in tonight's tournament final to determine who's next in line to challenge for the NXT championship. Meanwhile, Baron Corbin lost his semifinal match due to interference by Bull Dempsey, consigning himself to the purgatory of yet another match against Dempsey, <laughs> this time with as many holds barred as fucks given. None. <laughs> Which circle of hell do you think that is? Like where you've read The Inferno. Every time you think you've made it out, you've, you've wrestled Bull Dempsey into submission. You advance toward the gates, up toward the light of the living world, and Bull Dempsey is there, and he's like, you got lucky 2,637 times, but if you think you're going to get lucky again. Oh, fuck. That's the worst. I hate it. Finally, in what bordered on a main event promo package, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens gave their most candid interviews yet about how their long history together has led to their very personal, or not at all personal, depending on who you ask, championship match tonight. This episode... In our coverage of TakeOver Rival, we'll hear about all those matches and a couple more in Bob's Breakdown. After that, we'll dig into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. We'll also be handing out our Boris Olivier Award for Commitment to the Bit. And after that, Megan Bob will take a shot at predicting next week's twist in the ongoing soap opera of NXT in a segment we call The Next Big Thing. That's going fucking great so far. Oh, fantastically, yes. And normally, this is where we would address that. But this is such a big show. This is such a milestone. I don't want to spoil it for our listeners who don't watch the product, of which I know there are some. Mm -hmm. And I also don't want to keep them waiting any longer. So we can talk about Bob's points or lack thereof later. For now, let's dive directly into Bob's breakdown. Hey, Chris. Yes. Last time I did the chat GPT thing with Rocky and Bullwinkle. Uh-huh. I know you do a really good Bullwinkle voice, like people have said on the internet. <laughs> sure. I know on Twitter, you've had a lot, of, like you had a weird following, like you had an OnlyFans for a while. That's true. That I was, was part of a, a group Bullwinkle voice OnlyFans. Yeah. So I was wondering, what does Bullwinkle say when he wins matches in the WWE 2K? Like what? what's the, it's your victory quote? Is that what they call it in a video game? 
yeah. Um, I think what what does Bullwinkle say? It's gonna be like the "What's the Matter You" fight song, probably. <laughs> I think that's. Wow. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you think you... I was gonna do the Bullwinkle voice for free? I'm I'm definitely not. What's the matter, you? If you think I'm gonna do the Bullwinkle voice for free. <laughs> After you got a taste of that OnlyFans money. Mm-hmm. Chris Newton. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to hear that particular like voice, you're going to have to look. Go over to patreon.com. Demand the Chris Newton. Mooseandsquirrel.patreon.com. And I will do a Bullwinkle. I will do a Boris. I will even do a Natasha. Although that's like, that's a, we do a private show for that. <laughs> Our commentary team is Corey Graves, Rich Brennan, Jason Albert. Not an Alex Riley to be had. First of all, hallelujah. Secondly, a slight peek behind the curtain. Uh, Mm -hmm. Our original plan tonight had been to record a drunk episode. I am not drunk. However, I am eating my drunk snacks and I will not be deterred. So my wife and I work together to locate the trashiest snacks on the chips aisle of the grocery store. These are flaming hot cheddar and sour cream ruffles, and I'll be consuming <sighs> a whole bag of them throughout the podcast. This would have made more sense. It would have been more thematic on a drunk episode. But uh, listen, it's, it's, it's unlike my Bullwinkle OnlyFans, it's a free podcast. So please enjoy me eating chips. Go ahead, Bob. Our first match is Hideo Tommy versus Tyler Breeze, because apparently backstage after Tommy lost to Balor, there were ructions. As Breeze body checked him like it was a hockey match and screamed at him for causing him. I think it was for him for causing him to lose out on advancing in the tournament. Either that or he was just like the world's worst T-ball dad and was (laughs) like, you fucked it up. I can't believe you missed that. Fuck you. Like, which was it? It was because he kicked him out of the tournament, right? I think on the shallowest level and, and definitely it's important that that's there. Yes, it's because he got him out of the tournament. On another meta level, it's because they needed something to do with these two and they have great ring chemistry together. On another level, it is because the Breeze character wants attention and success so much, and it seems like Hideo Itami has skipped him in line. And on Mm -hmm. yet another level, it's because Tyler Breeze is a performer playing a hot character and Hideo Itami is a wrestler playing a wrestler who happens to be hot. I think all of those things are happening here. Wow. A rich palette. Mm-hmm. Okay. Breeze's entrance. He has a selfie stick now. And you're thinking to yourself, like, that's boring. Who cares? Selfie sticks. So, so 2015. No. The props department <laughs> <laughs> killed so many fake cats to cover this selfie stick in stripy teal and purple fur it's unfucking believable and the outfit chris he's wearing motley mm-hmm. it is so much that one female fan in the audience launches herself at him and has to be pulled off by security and i was like i know girl like i too was in real fucking danger at a renaissance fair <laughs> you let somebody walk past me and hose with like each leg is a different color and i'm like eat you like a turkey leg Hey, Nani Nani. <laughs> First of all, I love Hey, Nani Nani as a, as a punchline. I believe you're an innovator of that. Secondly, thank you. The quote unquote fan. This is a very early sighting of uh, Lib Morgan, I believe. I thought it was somebody who I was going to recognize later on because I was like, I think I've seen you sometime in the future, but not a lot. 
The match gives us all the flashy flashy and then settles into an outrage. Tyler Breeze bitterly punishing the knee of one man like that knee stole his wife. To be fucked over by a body part is not the worst thing, but a knee? Mm. Chris, knees aren't even gorgeous. Mm. I'm trying to think of whether I've ever been attracted to a knee visually. Obviously, knees <laughs> do sexy things all the time, but like, you know, I can't say that I ever have been into a knee like on a visual level. I mean, you say that like something's missing on your bingo card and you're like, you have to go cultivate a knee boner so you can feel complete with yourself. All right. You know, Chris found out that he's an Eagle Scout, but he hasn't earned every badge yet. So Chris will be <laughs> back in a couple of weeks after he goes on a sexy knee montage. Breeze tangles a Tommy up in the ring post and gets on the outside to do the hanged man tarot card with a Tommy's leg torquing Itami's knee on the post and using his own dangling body weight to make it worse. And it's true. Sometimes you need to bring in props to make your submission holds more exciting. That's a perfectly normal thing to do, like in a relationship. That doesn't mean that your submission holds aren't good on their own. Like, it just means that, you know, maybe it's more exciting if you get the ring post involved, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Find someone to be a ring post in your relationship. That's the metaphor you were going for, right? Uh, sure. Got yeah. Mm, look at that guy over there. I would love to hang you down off of him upside down. <laughs> so this match continues to be brought to you by the figure four as Breeze does figure four single leg crab. Uh, predictably, Hideo does not enjoy this. Chris, other crustaceans that deserve wrestling recognition. I am thinking of some Chikara shit in particular, but I'm interested if you have anything in mind. Pistol shrimp. Pistol. No question. Absolutely. Pistol shrimp, obviously. Yes. Dig a little bit deeper. We have an octopus hold. We need to have a really nasty looking submission hold called the lobstrosity, which is (gasps) one of my favorite D&D monsters. We need a lobstrosity for sure. Oh, fuck. That's really good. That's extremely good. All right. No, because there was a, a trios team, a king of trios team. I want to say like 2018, maybe 2017. I think one of them's a lobster. One of them's like a crawfish. And then there was one person who's not, neither of those things. I think you're thinking of probably like Cajun Crawdad. Yes. Who took a fucking hellacious bump at one of the king of trios I was at. The crowd had a hard time holding it down to like, holy poop. That was an unbelievable, like, it was like, I think PCO powerbombed him out of the ring into the crowd. (gasps) Ah, you shouldn't do that. (laughs) Especially at King of Trios. It's like, there are are five-year-old children here who want to enjoy fighting ice creams. Like, not that I really (laughs) disapprove. I think it was awesome, but it was shocking. Yeah, wow. Um, And then, yeah, there was, um, I feel so bad, Hermit Crab. Yes, hermit crab. And then... He doesn't like people, that crab. And, oh, uh, probably Murloc, who is just sort of yes. like generalized sea monster. Yes, it was Murloc. This has been Chikara Corner. How is Hideo going to get his groove back in this match? How will he ever find what it takes to be victorious? Apparently, Hulk powers. Because Breeze clocks him across the head. And each time Breeze clocks him, Hideo looks more and more enraged, like more and more powered up until he just can't contain the fury in himself anymore. And he kicks the face of Breeze while Breeze is down in the corner 
and then running knee strikes Breeze so hard that he's not more than the little pile of faux fur there to be pinned for three. And uh, now it is a little bit soon. I was like, the bathroom break already? <laughs> so so early for a who bloody cares match, but that is what we get next. Yeah, it's Baron Corbin versus Bull Debsy. The match starts. The audience chants, we want tables. Audience, <laughs> it's, it is fine to want things. You are valid in wanting things. <laughs> that doesn't make you wrong. I want to affirm you in wanting things. I would just say that maybe think about where you're putting your energy for that particular thing. Dempsey and Corbin rush each other. Chris, I don't want to alarm you, but there was a move. Like, I don't know if you caught it. I'm sorry, a move in this match? Now, it's been a long day. I could have seen anything. Maybe it was a glitch in the screen. I, did Dempsey suplex Corbin on the ramp? Mm. You know what? I vaguely remember that happening around the part where I went to the dentist and it turned out I was pregnant. <laughs> I did fall asleep during this match. So I'm not, don't rely on my memory. Okay. Uh, I do want to really emphasize that I was shocked by this. And the fact that I was shocked had nothing to do with the fact that it was on the ramp, which they don't do suplexes on the ramp all the time because you really fucking shouldn't. But I was just like, gasp. I can't believe they're doing a move that could be used as wrestling grammar at any point. <laughs> this is so odd. Uh, the audience is kind of heckling the whole match, and it is the most it's ever felt like a legit angry mob vibe. Like, I was going, these people may start throwing shit. I'm, I'm truly concerned about the tone this crowd is taking. <laughs> Dempsey kicks out of a massive powerbomb from Corbin. The audience is like, why the fuck is this match taking any goddamn longer? Fuck off. But, oh, fuck. Fuck. Fuck me. The most agonizingly awkward flip over the top mm. ropes where Corbin goes to flip Dempsey over the... Chris, can you describe to people how fucking unacceptable everything about this was? Because, like, I have seen a lot of going over the top ropes. I have not seen nearly as many as you have, and I certainly haven't seen as many botches as you have. Like, your sample size is much bigger. Tell me... Tell, tell everyone at home how egregious this was. Okay, imagine a boxing match. Yes. The fix is in. Okay. One of them hits the other, but he like stumbles yep. on his feet. He, stumbled, he forgot to tie his, his boots, so he falls over. He was supposed yes. to knock the other guy down. <gasps> so the guy who was supposed to get knocked down stands there for one full minute, <gasps> then falls over and stays down for the 10 count. That's how <laughs> fucking fake this is. It, because oh. this was supposed to be a cactus clothesline where you clothesline the person on the ropes and then you both go over the ropes, but Dempsey didn't go over right. Yeah. And so only Corbin went over, but Dempsey didn't. And then Dempsey just like awkwardly realized his mistakes. So like once Corbin was already on the floor, was just like, ugh. <laughs> just like <laughs> as though he had been hit, quote unquote, like, fell over the ropes. Yeah, he chucked himself. It was, Wow. Okay, so keep in mind, this is a no-DQ match. We're <laughs> three-quarters of the way through this match. <laughs> and not a single, you know, DQ to be had. You know, they get back in the ring. Dempsey goes for a chair. 
And then he, you know, he has this chair, gets back in the ring and is like, oh man, I have my chair. I'm going to hit you, Corbin. Misses or something. All I remember is the chair doesn't come into it. Corbin grabs him for the sloppiest end of days. This is like a real, instead of ending in like fire and despair, if the apocalypse was just like a wet, sad fart. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> what this fucking was. The least of anything DQ. The no DQ what? And then, oh, I know, you're like, well, but the chair is over. We're done with the chair, right? <laughs> no. Chekhov's gun's going to be used <laughs> as a fucking flower vase. <laughs> Baron Corbin ominously grabs the chair, approaches Bull Dempsey, opens the chair, and then he sits in the chair <laughs> like he's a real badass at chair sitting. What is the sitting in the chair flex for? What are we doing? The closest I can think of like what they might have been going for here. There was, and I don't remember who the opponent was, but there was like an extreme rules match of some kind, like a mm-hmm. hardcore match with Big Show and some other person. All right. And like Big Show at some point, like, he had been, like, beaten down or whatever, but he got, like, a weapon. Like, he got, like, a chair or whatever. And he threw it aside and was, like, basically, like, I'm a fucking giant. Like, mm. why would I need to hit you with a chair? That's pretty badass. Yeah. I think that might be what they were going for, is that it was, like, Dempsey couldn't get the job done, so he went to get a chair. And then Corbin just, like, grabbed the chair from him and was, like, nope, and hit him with the finisher and then sat in the mm. chair. Like... Even with no rules, there's nothing you can do to me. Mm. It absolutely did not come across. They should have no. seen that that finish of like the crowd is ready for there to be something that warrants the no DQ stipulation here. And just as Dempsey is about to give them what they want, Corbin literally takes it away from them. <laughs> I Yikes. think they they should have seen that the crowd was going to be not be like, oh, wow, what a badass. We love that guy. Mm. Well, this match absolutely made me say. That sure was four minutes. Mm-hmm. Twice as long as their previous installment. It might be as long as their previous two matches put together. Backstage, we see Becky Lynch doing push-ups on the stairs. It's pretty hot. Mm-hmm. She can't buy a women's title at a hot topic. She's got to earn it, says Corey Graves. Chris, what is the hot topic of wrestling titles? Megan Bob, that would be the... WWE ECW Championship Belt. (laughs) It has World Wrestling Entertainment on a little banner at the top and a little logo at the top. Then in the middle, it has ECW. And then Mm. there's like an eagle or something behind it. Like there's like a bird design, but the bird has like flaming wings. Like a bird would. Right, of course. And this is the title that was used in the... um, wwe revival of ecw Mm. that they kicked off with uh the second one night stand which everyone remembers for um rvd beating john cena for the world title and does not remember for (laughs) how it tried to convince ecw fans in the hammerstein goddamn ballroom like look it's all the great ecw acts you remember like sandman sabu kurt angle and big show (laughs) yes that belt that is the hot topic of championships oof wow 
All right, well, now it's time for the Lucha Dragons versus Blurfy. Ugh. Oh, embarrassingly, Jason Albert quotes Martin Luther King Jr. Says, you don't have to see the whole staircase. You just have to take the first step. Nice. I was like, is this the moment? Is this the moment to pull out a Martin Luther <laughs> King Jr. quote? Do you think, Jason Albert? Well, in the interest of uh, really making the most of that vibe, I asked ChatGPT to try and shoehorn as much inspiration into a breakdown as it possibly could. Um, It did not do a good job. Chris, this is for you to read. I want you to make an artistic decision. I want you to either offset the parts that are shoehorned in as like, obviously this is incongruous, or I want you to do your own vocal styling such that you're like, no, no, go with me. These have to be connected. Of course, this, this quote belongs here as you've done in like a paper in college where you're like, no, no, of course I, this quote is not to make up the numbers. Like this isn't just, (laughs) I needed a plus one here. This quote's very relevant to my argument. (laughs) Um, all right. Ernest, I think is the vibe here. Okay, all right, Ernest. The match started off with the Lucha Dragons using their speed and agility to gain the upper hand. Kalisto was particularly impressive, hitting several high-flying moves on Blake and Murphy, including a corkscrew crossbody and a springboard spinning heel kick. As the great Muhammad Ali once said, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. (laughs) Sin Cara also got in on the action with a springboard moonsault, proving that as Nelson Mandela once said, it always seems impossible until it's done. However, Blake and Murphy managed to turn the tide by cutting off the ring and isolating Sin Cara in their corner. They used quick tags and double-team moves, such as a backbreaker-slash-elbow-drop combination, to wear down Sin Cara. As the match progressed, Kalisto and Sin Cara managed to rally and showcase their high-flying moves and quick tags. Kalisto came in with a flurry of offense, including a Hurricane Rana and a springboard corkscrew crossbody. The legendary Bruce Lee once said, quote, adapt what is useful, reject what is useless, and add what is specifically your own. Kalisto certainly adapted and added his own unique style to the match. <laughs> the match then saw a series of high-risk moves, including a top-rope Hurricane Rana by Kalisto, and a double-team move by Blake and Murphy, where they threw Sinkara into the air and caught him with a superkick, middle-rope-suplex combination. As the iconic Oprah Winfrey once said, quote, you can have it all, just not all at once. Towards the end of the match, Kalisto hit an impressive Salida del Sol off the top rope, but Blake managed to break up the pinfall at the last moment. Blake and Murphy then hit their finisher, a combination of a brain buster and a frog splash on Sin Cara for the victory. Despite their defeat, the Lucha Dragons showed incredible heart and determination And as the great Vince Lombardi once said, the greatest accomplishment is not in never falling, but in rising again after you fall. Overall, the match was a showcase of the different styles of the two teams, with the Lucha Dragons relying on their high-flying moves and quick tags, while Blake and Murphy used their strength and teamwork. As the legendary Bruce Lee, same (laughs) legendary Bruce Lee, once said, quote, showing off is the fool's idea of glory, end quote. But both teams certainly had a lot to be proud of after putting on a fast-paced, action-packed match that had the crowd on the edge of their seats. 
Wow. On chutzpah alone, I am <laughs> raising you a letter grade for this. <laughs> Chat GPT, that was shit, but delivery has given you <laughs> like an extra edge. <laughs> I know, I was like, two Bruce Lee quotes? Come on, come on now. The name of that essay is The Moral Arc of the Universe is Long, But It Bends Toward Dubstep. The Story of Blake <sighs> and Murphy. Mm, very beautiful. Well, what botches did you appreciate about this match? I really liked Kalisto's botch, but I liked seeing the bad head scissors again. This match was atrocious yeah, on so many levels. A real garbage fire. Oh, it was, and not just the botches, but like the way that Sinkara in particularly had clearly just given up performing the match. Mm-hmm. It was... I like him. I just... I For somebody who has a level of technical proficiency, this match was like watching somebody let down the rest of the team in their fucking group project mm. and everybody getting an F, <laughs> like in the spotlight, center stage. Everybody fails because of you, Sinkara. You can do the work, <laughs> but you didn't try. Uh, it is a shame that uh, they're being graded collectively instead of individually. Mm, yeah, and it is a great disservice to Kalisto that he has been saddled yeah, with Sinkara. I agree. Package, we get to find out about what Balor and Neville think of each other. Gasp, they like and respect each other. Storytelling! <laughs> but also, uh, Adrian Neville makes the point that you know what, sure, the sexy writhing demon entrance, it's great. It is there to weird people out and intimidate them. But he is not going to be intimidated, so shrug emoji. All right, now, Neville versus Balor. Balor's entrance is so fucking long. It is cool, but it is so fucking long. Very important to note, he's got chompy knee pads. <laughs> His knee pads have little toothy mouths on them. So it's like his knees are going to eat you. Like if he does a knee strike, he could also do like an om nom nom noise while he's doing it. It's, it's so good. Um, all right, I'll stop talking about his fucking knees. If you're wondering what to expect from the two most balletic fighters in all of NXT, it looks not quite like what you'd imagine in some ways. Uh, you, it is the level of body control that you'd think. For sure there's that. But uh, it, it's got heel baby face grammar or whatever you want to call it. Neville is healing it up. He's doing all that slowing the match down and dominating the early part of the match in the way that makes me go like, no, oh, don't don't make him do that. Don't make him slow the match down. He's a nice boy. Why are you... This is stereotyping. I don't like this. <laughs> and then even Rich Brennan is like, oh, maybe a slower pace than we would have thought, which is interesting because going into it, I was kind of expecting, oh, well, it'll probably be, you know, it'll be babyface versus babyface. It'll be high speed, high flying, all of that. But they didn't. And I'm curious what you think about that decision. Is this just about like, well, Neville's turning to the dark side, you know, slowly, so... We can't have him doing babyface versus babyface shenanigans. I think that this was a really good call. They could have put on 
a really fast-paced, athletic yeah. kind of showing of what both of them are capable of. Both of them have done that recently and will do it again soon. Mm. I think having them do it against each other would have, especially for Finn, it would have undersold how important the demon is. Ah, uh, okay. By having Neville knowing his character as we do, by having him react in this way, this is telling us they, they have completed this thought on commentary. Not even like, I don't mean that as an insult. Like, I think they, they planted the seed so that you can kind of like read the characters where they were saying like, these are two guys who take big risks. So mm-hmm. it's interesting that they're fighting in this way. And I think that the conclusion of that thought is both of them know each other well enough to know that the other guy is the guy who takes a big risk. The other guy is the guy who will come at you with this, this huge move that nobody else does, who will speed things up to a speed that you can't handle, who will mm-hmm. make you come crashing down with like one big bold stroke. They both know that well enough not to fight this match in an open position, to let that mm. happen to them. And particularly Neville is like, well, how do you react to the demon? Headlock. That, mm. That's what, I mean, because you, you don't want to be out there trying to be faster than him. You don't want to be out there trying to be more explosive and stronger than him. You put him in a headlock. And you, and you wait for Finn Balor, the man, to make a mistake. Uh. I, I think that conveys the story of the match. And it also doesn't like, cheapen what they're capable of you know because like i think the crowd maybe wouldn't would they would have popped for the big moves but no more yeah. than they would have for any other match these two would have been in this made the demon special mm. okay okay balor topes neville on the outside but neville crawls back into the ring and then rolls out the other side crawling away looking for a way to get some distance. And he finds a chair to rest in. The worst kind of chair, the only kind of chair that you could find around there, which is this shitty metal folding chair that makes me go, why are you even sitting in it? You should be (laughs) looking angrily at that chair going, how dare you call yourself a fucking chair? (laughs) We see Neville do a corkscrew from the second rope. The match finish is a rush to the top. The top rope, that is. Neville gets Finn Balor down for the red arrow. But Balor gets the knees up on the red arrow and then turns it into a small package. Neville kicks out. Then Balor drop kicks Neville into the corner, gets him down, goes to the top rope. What move does he do on him, Chris? I believe you're referring to the dude scoot. I am referring to the dude scoot. Ah, The dude scoot. So beautiful. Finn's arm is raised in victory as the dude scoot proved more powerful than the red arrow, which is very embarrassing. I mean, just because it's called the dude scoot, not because the coup de gras is not like, you know, inherently less cool. Although low key, it kind of is <laughs> far less cool. The audience chants for them to hug it out because, you know, now they're both standing. Neville looks hesitant, but does shake hands with Finn Balor, uh, which the audience honors with a thank you Neville chant, which I was really happy with. They were like, oh, thanks for thanks for giving us a nice way to end this match. And we're like, oh, thanks for being appreciative. Now, the women's fatal four-way match. But we do not get that before we get a package that shows each of these women being treated not just seriously, but deadly seriously, and is made clear that each of them is a legitimate threat to all of the other three in the match. Then, get the start of the match, like the entrances. It is the first time we hear Sasha, I think, get the crowd pop that reflects something like what she is due. And I was very pleased with that. Mm-hmm. Becky's new gear. No. 
Absolutely not. Chris, what did you think of Becky's new gear? I will describe it in a second. I just want to get hot takes. Mm, I refuse to be the guy on the internet who insults a hot woman for a thing he doesn't know shit about. I'll pass. Okay, you know what? Good call. Uh, the gray and red, it just... And it was such a bad gray. It was like office gray. The worst shade of gray. It. What it reminded me of is like baseball uniforms that little kids have. But like if somebody took a baseball uniform that a child had and then was like, but what if we made it, what if we tried to imagine that that was a sexy outfit for a grown-up lady? And it's like, <laughs> there, that's our attempt. The bell goes and the match is immediately dominated by the team of Sasha and Becky who take out Charlotte and then work over Bailey. When they go for a pin on Bailey at the same time, it is clear that the honeymoon is well and truly over. Becky suplexes Sasha straight out of the fucking ring. I mean, not completely out of the ring, but like suplexes are so hard that Sasha kind of keeps on rolling out of the ring. Then returns her focus to Bailey. Sasha gets back in the ring and has a chance to do her knees to the gut move assisted by the ropes, but it's spoiled by Becky getting out of the way. Cunning. Charlotte storms into the match and starts working to make her mark. Sasha's got her head on a fucking swivel, though, because she engineers the situation with Charlotte spearing Becky for her. And she's not done. She gets both Charlotte and Becky strung up across the ropes to receive the knees of death, takes them both out. And then it's finally time for Bailey to shine. And goddamn, she goes to the top rope with Charlotte and fucking Rana's her. She thrusts her crotch into her former best friend's face and drags her to the mat from the top rope. You'd love to see it. We get an NXT chant and then the, this is wrestling, which I was like, oh, that's, that's such a fucking extraordinary chant. Mm -hmm. It's your audience validating your work. Chris is obviously very different, but you told me your daughter made a certificate because you were doing a good job supervising her. Yes. Like you got a, this is dadding <laughs> from your child. I, how amazing to have your work like validated by the audience it is for. Yeah. This is so deep. Like why this kind of, why this chant is so important here. Because first of all, because this is developmental. And so, you know, while some of these women have more experience than others in, in other places, it makes me think of Proving Grounds. I don't know if we'll ever talk about it on the podcast, but like the reality show that WWE did about NXT. And I remember like watching like all the women go off to do makeup class. Yeah. These are women who like whether or not they have previous wrestling experience, they are training to be what WWE needs its female performers to be. Not mm -hmm. yet knowing as we do looking back that these four women are going to change what women's wrestling is in WWE. So mm -hmm. Like, for them, they're learning how to be women's wrestlers in WWE. And for us, we know exactly what the crowd knows looking at this. Because when you hear them chanting, this is wrestling, you cannot but hear the crowd's disapproval of the shit that's happening on the main roster with women. Mm -hmm. And they're, they are affirming them and saying, what you're doing here, this is the thing. The thing that they're supposedly prepping you for, we don't give a fuck about that this what you're doing right here this is wrestling this is what we came to see i love it so much it's so powerful yeah the fact that it worked like it never works <laughs> in wrestling it never works i mean promoters have to accept the crowd's verdict in a certain way 
but almost never yes. does the crowd latch on to a different way of doing things and force the promotion to fall in line in the way they did with women's wrestling and WWE. It, it is truly an amazing thing to watch. Yeah. God. There is something extremely unique about pro wrestling. There's so many unique things about pro wrestling, but that as good as the carnies are, there's still more like there's more people in the audience than there is of you and you want them to keep mm -hmm. coming back and you want them to keep giving you money. And so like at a certain point, it doesn't matter how good a carny you are. If your marks don't like it, like you fucked up and you have to deal with it. There's a push and pull and it's neat. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to be very, you know, very sunny about this, you could say a lot of con man bullshit, a lot of carny bullshit depends upon exploiting what is worst in people. It's about exploiting people's prejudices, their greed, and there's a sense in which the part of the con that is professional wrestling that is about mm -hmm. women stopped working because the crowd got collectively a little bit better and mm -hmm. started to see women differently. And for that reason, like the con stopped working. They needed a new trick. Yeah. So Sasha has cleared the ring of everyone but Charlotte. This is very important that it be Charlotte. And she locks in the ugliest version of the bank statement. She's tearing at every in Charlotte's spine. I don't, not the tendons, but like, or maybe the tendons. Look, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Charlotte kind of like gets near the ropes and not near enough the ropes. And then she kind of melts in defeat, but she doesn't actually tap. Sasha rolls her over and pins her for three, which gives us a new champion. Not only is Sasha Banks the new NXT women's champion, she beat the current champ or the previous champion with a submission. Mm-hmm. Damn. That what what a fucking like statement of Sasha Banks is a big fucking deal to have a finish like that. What goddamn. I mean, and then the audience was like, yeah, we love it. We're so happy. And it was like, <gasps> they're not saying you're wretched. This is awesome. <laughs> and then the sexiest ending to a match in like, or well, I mean, the match is already over. The sexiest ending to like a whole schmear in the history of this kind of thing. Charlotte now in kind of face mode goes over, hand, offers the handshake. The audience at first is like, no, don't do it. I don't, wasn't quite clear if they were like, don't turn face Sasha or what that was about. But Sasha like kind of goes for it. And then instead, like they just hug and it's, it's such a specific kind of hug. And then because they're still in front of the crowd, then like has the soft moment and like gives the audience that. But then it's like, no, come on, we're still at work here, though. Shoves Charlotte off and does a big woo right at Charlotte. And Charlotte looks both, like, pissed, but also there's an element of almost, like, something about what we've done together has made you good enough to beat me. And so, like, this is partly mine, too. And you know what? Don't worry. I'll come back and I'll get it from you again. Yeah. It, it had a really different energy. It was lovely. Have you, you haven't seen this year's WrestleMania yet, have you? I have not. You gotta watch that Charlotte Rhea Ripley match because I, there is something that's gonna resonate with this. Okay. 
Okay. No, I do. I want to watch this year's WrestleMania for sure. Or at least the parts that I give a fuck about. It is very important to me. And I, I care about both of those two as wrestlers. Main fucking event. The main fucking event. Sami Zayn has new gear. Never looked more scoffle. I can feel the trombones. Kevin Owens looks like he already knows that you're coming home with him. He doesn't have to say or do anything to make that happen. Like he just opened the door and it's like, okay, I'll get my toothbrush. (laughs) (laughs) The bell goes and there's an Olay chant and Owens and Zane have like this little moment about it. Like it's kayfabe, but it's not kayfabe. You'd have to like go watch it to kind of see all this. But there are worlds within worlds in that little moment of like, oh, that's ours. But also like we're acting here. I think it is special because they, and again, this year is WrestleMania. We will get there eventually. But it's always magical when Sammy and Kevin talk to each other in the ring. You know, not for the mics, just for each other. And yeah, I think particularly the Olay chant. What's so special about it is it has never been a WWE thing. It is not part of Sami Zayn's character, sort of like officially. Mm -hmm. It comes from the crowd knowing something about the history here and like following the story that's being told. And I think particularly here, particularly in the shadow of Sami telling Kevin, you're going to pretend like the last 12 years never happened to hear Mm -hmm. this start with the Olay chant and the mutual acknowledgement that like, fuck commentary, like there's a world before WWE. And like yeah. there, there's something else happening here. We did that both as performers and as characters. It has a special impact in this match. Zane goes for Owens, who leaves the ring. He is completely unwilling to give Sami Zayn any room to maneuver and rolls out of the ring multiple times in the slowest, but like most deliberate way. The referee is now counting right in Owens' face, saying like, "No, you really, you do, you actually do." have to get the ring if you're gonna if you do want to get paid you will have to attend and then zane just starfish flies over the referee to take out owens on the outside which was like oh man they must have worked that out with the referee first as well which i was very Mm -hmm. happy with back in the ring owens responds with two clotheslines which and you hear the tone of my voice and you're like who the fuck cares about a clothesline it makes Sammy flail and flop like a fucking Muppet thrown across a bedroom. Just, <sighs> there, I'm sorry. There's some BDSM scene shit to this, and I know that's not what it is, but there is something profoundly personal in how people respond to one another physically, and especially in like physical exchanges, and Zane sells for Owens and moves for Owens like he moves for nobody else. It's like, this is for you that I give you this. Like I'm making you look like this. And when Owen drops him gut first on the top rope, Zane makes such a meal of the entire thing. And what's really beautiful is that the rest hold after that, that Kevin Owens has him in is almost like affectionate. I mean, I, I recognize that I am seeing like, through the curtain and looking at (laughs) this, but this is a thing that Kai actually always talked about and really resonated with is that there's an ethic of care in wrestling Mm -hmm. and that you would never, I mean, if you're good, if you're a safe worker, if you're not a piece of shit, and especially if you're wrestling with your friends, you touch them like you care about them. 
Like it's not impersonal. It's always like you check on them physically with your hands and your, you know, your lips are up near their ear. And like, it is very like physical and nurturing and caring stuff. And it's odd to, to see the little glimpses of it and to see like the kind of affection and, and kind of like quiet concern there under the surface of it all is like, we're giving this performance, but also I care about you and I love working with you and I want to make sure you're okay. That's so interesting because like, I, I see that definitely. I also think there is, there's something special about the way that Kevin and Sammy work with each other where they're capable of kind of making us a third to that. And Mm -hmm. at the same time that there is this level of like, like, I don't think the character of Kevin Owens is, is caring for the character of Sami Zayn here, but I see, I see what you mean about that. And like, I do think that the intimacy of that plays into what is being done by Kevin Owens as a performer and as a character to the crowd, which is like, this is between me and him. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to take a minute to show you that you are powerless in what I'm doing to him. Like, mm-hmm. I will make him hurt, and you can go ahead and chant, and nothing will change. If you want to chant boring, if you want to cheer him on, whatever you want to do, you have no control over what I do to him. Mm. And I think that is so necessary to make the crowd worry about Sammy. Mm. Mm, that's very good. The story of the match is two people who know each other well enough to make it hurt. And when Kevin forearms Zane and Zane comes back swinging only to miss completely, it's, it's sort of devastating. Like he's trying, but maybe he just doesn't have what it is that Kevin Owens has. And there's nothing he can do about that because he's just not that person. Zane gets a second wind and does a blue thunder bomb on Kevin Owens that like that twirl into a power bomb with the almost 300 pounds of Owens in his arm. And it, just looks beautiful. And Owens goes to the top rope later on and spits at Sami Zayn. Spits a lot at Zayn, and it is disgusting and it is personal. And he jumps, but Zayn puts the knees up. Owens retreats to the outside. And when Zayn pursues, Sammy almost eats yet another power bomb on the apron, the apron that Kevin Owens. This is their meet cute power power bomb. It's like, no, but this was for our anniversary. Like, it's been two months, baby. I just (laughs) want to power bomb you into the apron to show you how much I care about you. We are now in the is Sami Zayn medically cleared portion of the match because he's been power bombed a lot. And it's looking dodgy. The medical staff is checking on him, but KO like pulls him back away from the medical staff, power bombs him time after time until Zane goes limp. The ref pulls him off and the bell goes. The referee calling the match is unsafe to continue. It's busy referee stoppage. Uh, he gives Kevin Owens the belt to the cheers of mm, three quarters of the crowd, maybe. But it's also wild because there are multiple camera shots in the last, I don't know, three minutes of the match of the audience looking shocked that this is the story. In fact, there was somebody in the audience who had prepared for this as a sign that just says, what's going on? 
Chris, what did it feel like watching this when it happened? I think it felt exactly the way that the performers wanted it to feel. That you're coming off the high of having Sami Zayn win this championship and then having him run into like such a dominating defeat by Kevin Owens. You were talking about Sami Zayn selling here. Mm -hmm. And I think what we are being sold is not that Kevin Owens is so much tougher and so much stronger than Sami Zayn. Mm -hmm. I think what we're being sold is Kevin Owens has Zayn's number because he understands what gives him power in this situation. Mm. The spot, like the rolling out of the ring and refusing to fight thing at the beginning. Yeah. That is such a microcosm of this entire plan that Kevin Owens has enacted because Sammy, all he has to do is stand in the back of the ring and wait for Kevin Owens to come back. I mean, he's the champion, mm-hmm. but that's not what Sammy's here for. He's not here to win a wrestling match. He's here to have this fight finally. And Kevin Owens knows Sammy needs that so much. There's no reason for me to fight him on his terms in a wrestling ring. If I come mm. out here, he will put his body on the line to come out here and fight me where I have an advantage because that's who he is. He needs this. And the more it seems like I don't need it, the more he needs it. And it works perfectly. And in fact, the we go to the phase of the match where we're not quite sure if Sammy can continue after Sammy mm-hmm. um, suplexes uh, KO on the ramp. And, or no, I'm sorry, he doesn't suplex him. He, I think he dives on him and then like hits his head on the ramp. Mm-hmm. Sammy does that. Sammy does that to himself by doing this like big explosive high risk move. And so I think the story of the match is like KO is weathering the storm. He can fight defensively and stand up to what Sammy has to throw at him. And he knows Sammy is going to mess himself up. He's going to keep trying to escalate this. And Sammy's getting more and more mad and more and more reckless the more that KO refuses to engage him on that level. Mm-hmm. And it works perfectly. And that's it. Now he's the champion. And it's, I mean, the joy in KO's face when that plan works. Like, it's the joy of victory and, like, the joy of professional success. But more than that, it is the joy of, like, the vindication. The joy of a real piece of shit who is, like, I knew I could get all the power in this relationship. Oof. Oof. Not unsexy, but oof. (laughs) Man. Well, that's the end of TakeOver. Thank you for that breakdown, Bob. Uh, what did you think of TakeOver Rival? Well, it was weird because I'd been fucking around with ChatGPT and ChatGPT had been telling me about, like, for some reason it kept trying to tell me about TakeOver Rival whenever I was asking about something else. And I was like, no, 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 the next one's Arrival, not Rival. So only by my mishearing it repeatedly <laughs> and, like, just not paying attention was I spared from understanding that I was going to be seeing Sammy lose the title. Uh, the women's match was unfucking believable Maybe the best match to me. I mean, not that the Sammy-Kevin one wasn't fucking incredible, but the women's match was so goddamn good. I know, Miles, it worked. <laughs> It is weird to be seeing takeovers that are so, this isn't the start of a, eh, like somebody's reign. This is the start of a new chapter in like how somebody's going to be relating to other people. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, this is a different kind of takeover. Yeah. Yeah. I loved this show 
in the parts of it that were that were good, which were many. Like they they were there were really high highs. <laughs> yeah, there's shit stuff the, too. Yes, <laughs> as I know you're the, gonna get to. The the women's match, like for me, was was fine. Like it was good. It just to me didn't didn't stand up to the other high spots on the card. Um, I think that might just be partly because I've never I'm never a big fan of like a fatal four way. I think that's it's very mm. rare for them to be done in a way that really serves all the characters, which is mainly what I'm looking for in a wrestling match. Um, uh. And this worked well as a match for Charlotte and Sasha. But I think we knew everything we were going to see out of Bailey and Becky from the build, which mm-hmm. hurt the match for me. Whereas this really was a very satisfying conclusion to the storylines that were being built with Neville and Balor and yeah. Owens and Zayn, as well as being like, I mean, I don't want to act like they're two separate things. These were great matches where the in-ring performance did a great job of creating a climax to a, to a story that had been being told. So highest possible marks for those two matches. But then on the strength of the card overall, like you knew Corbin Dempsey was going to be bad and it was bad <laughs> and foreseeably <laughs> bad. Like that finish was bound to upset people and rightly so. Uh, and so yeah. that's a, that's an unforced error on their part. I found Blurfy versus Lucha Dragons to be a horrendous match. It was rough. So like an uneven card, but I think the highs were so high. You Nobody thinks of this as the show where Sinkara didn't give a shit. So no harm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, prob- probably not what it's remembered for anyway. So it's probably fine. So we finally seen the whole show. Uh, it, it is now time to discuss the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. Bob, what did your elf eye see in this episode? Finn's little shoulder rustling at the beginning of the match. He just lifts his shoulders up at him. And I was like, gasp, the air to the Ascension's shoulder shimmy or peck shimmy. (laughs) It was extremely exciting. All right, Chris, what did your elf eye see? Uh, You know what? I got to go back to that hideous tag titles match. Not even so much the botches, but like you rarely see in a wrestling match just the awkwardness of just people like not doing a match it mm-hmm. seeming confused it just they, they were saying on commentary like <laughs> which is very unusual by the way i like i don't know if you at this point probably have enough under your belt to know this is weird but when commentary says about someone like that guy needs to try harder you don't say oh. that shit unless it's a shoot jesus but yeah they they were saying about seeing Cara, like you know Maybe he needs to have a little more urgency, given that he's in a title match. It, it's like, it seems as though Sin Cara is not interested in wrestling tonight, and perhaps as a wrestler, he should be. <laughs> yeah, but even without commentary, it is perfectly obvious watching that match that this match has fallen apart. And um, yeah, very, very striking. Oof. Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? This is a weird thing that Corey Graves said. Adrian Neville has tasted the top of the mountain and he wants back on it as soon as possible, which I was like, all right, already this is a weird way to phrase every part of that. But also I was like, what does the top of the mountain taste like? Is it is it just a Ricola? Like what? Chris, what does the top of the mountain taste like? Uh, you know what? Uh, it's probably Big Rock Candy Mountain. 
probably that's why Neville is about oh. to grow a big like hobo beard. He's chasing Fuck that high. Yeah. Yeah. I do love that song. That song fucking slaps. <laughs> what? I like hobo tunes. <laughs> Don't be coming for me in Big Rock Candy Mountain. All right, what did your Vulcaneers hear? The line that I picked up on on commentary was uh, the same one you mentioned earlier. You can't buy a women's title at Hot Topic. Because mm-hmm. I'm of two minds about that. Number one, to me, that's bad commentary because even though Becky is a heel, I don't think she's that kind of heel. I don't think we're meant to read her as fake. Mm-hmm. And so yes, that is commentary undermining the character, which I which I don't appreciate. Yes, agree. On the other hand, I 100% agree with the vibe that she gives off. She does not mm-hmm. seem authentic in her character right now. Mm-hmm. And so kind of like focusing on the positive, I guess, I think Becky Lynch is a great example of a place where, and like a surprisingly rare place, where developmental helped somebody to become what they needed to be to be a big star in a way we could see on screen. Like, I know there are lots of people who sort mm-hmm. of like learned how to deal with WWE cameras in developmental or like they got their very basic training in developmental if they if they hadn't worked on the indies first. And so we kind of like, you know, in behind the scenes way or like they made the connections that they were going to need to succeed in the company. But we rarely actually see someone come on screen. And it's like, oh, there's something there as a wrestler, but they're not really there yet. And they need to work on some specific things to click. And then we see them click mm-hmm. in NXT and then they go on to become a huge star in the main roster. I think that's what it, NXT is supposed to do and very rarely does. And it absolutely happened with Becky Lynch. In the state she's in now in NXT, I don't think she could have succeeded on the main roster. Oh, God, no. No. Hard agree. But Corey Graves is still a jerk for pointing it out. That is not his job. Yes. Bob, what did your human heart feel? Sammy and Kevin. Mm-hmm. Because they're these two performers who are finally getting to make the art together. They're finally getting to like turn to this audience and say like, no, this is, this is what you, we can do whenever we're allowed to work together. Whenever you put us on a stage, this is the shit we can do. Artistic relationships like that are so fucking powerful and it's beautiful to see it. What did your human heart feel? Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be something Sammy and Kevin related in this episode because you know, it, it, that is such the heart of this takeover. To be specific about it, I picked the end of their match and like commentary on the end of the match. I think we'll have occasion next time to talk about mm. where commentary had a job to do that they may not have done successfully. Mm. But I think that they succeeded in, particularly Jason Albert, in making us feel like this was different from normal, like babyface in peril. And particularly in hitting the note of like, Somebody needs to look out for Sammy here because he really has a self-destructive problem with this kind of interaction. Like we saw this even with Cesaro, like going back that far. Sammy is a guy who will not quit to a fault. And I love the fact that storytelling often picks up on that. Like this is a guy who does not know when he's beat and does not know when to just lay down. It makes it easy sometimes to cheer him. And sometimes it makes you cringe to cheer him on because it's like you I know you can't. It, Sammy's very he's very brave as a performer to put us in that situation of like you want to cheer him but at the same time you're afraid to because like yeah. you don't want to cheer him on to to get hurt worse in this losing effort yeah and that's genius yeah fucking genius yeah uh, making the crowd uncomfortable in that way is something I I think sometimes overlooked is Sammy Zayn's 
courage as a performer to put the crowd in a difficult position that doesn't leave them confused, but leaves them conflicted. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a that's like a bullseye to hit that not many performers can hit as consistently as he does. That's Sami Zayn. He's so good. The end of this match did exactly what it needed to do, which was to make you feel bad for Sammy and uncomfortable. And like we see people get beat up on this show all the time. This is not that. This is somebody getting hurt in a way that yeah. is kind of beyond the scope of what we do here. Yes. So we're almost done with this episode of the show. But before we move on, it's time to award our Lawrence Bolivier Awards for commitment to the bit. Bob, who is the winner of your Lawrence Bolivier Award this week? My Lawrence Bolivier Award, shocking, is going to Sami Zayn because of the way he sold. The way he sold physically was so... It's such a commitment. It's like, it's so much extra work to sell that hard. I don't know. It's fucking amazing. I loved seeing it because he doesn't pull that out all the time. Like, this is the first time I've ever seen him sell like that. Ah, so good. So good. What about you? Who is getting your Lawrence Bolivier? Also for selling, but not Sami Zayn. I was going to give it to Sami Zayn for his selling, which was exemplary. But as I thought about it, as I was like, yeah, that selling was great. I thought, but what about Tyler Breeze, who did some (laughs) phenomenal selling for Hideo Itami, sold Mm. his kicks in a way that I think like had a lasting effect on getting them over with the full sale crowd and did a fantastic a sell that I loved. I love when wrestlers go beyond the sort of like selling dead that we so often see where it's like, oh, mm-hmm. that move hit me so hard that I was unconscious for a few seconds. I loved mm-hmm. when he like Hideo hit him with a big move and Breeze like got knocked down, stood right back up and then fell right back down again and like scrambled <laughs> out of the ring. Like I- I'm trying to keep going, but like, oh, shit, no, like I'm going right back down. That is such a more dramatic (laughs) sell that tells you where you are in the match, which is like he didn't just get hit hard. He actually got this. He got knocked out of his senses and like thought he was good to go. It was like, oh, nope, nope, nope. I got to (laughs) go. And I think not only is that a phenomenal sell because not that that sell is better than Sami Zayn's sell, but this sell is done by a performer and a character who basically creative has nothing for him right now. And he's doing this in service of someone else purely, right? He's doing Sami Zayn level selling in a match that is purely about making the other guy look good with no upside for him. Yep. He's the best, the best Tyler breeze is really good. He's so good. So yeah, uh, no big surprises on the Lawrence Bolivier awards. You know, what would be a big surprise is if you, Bob, were able to correctly guess (laughs) the next big thing. So, this episode, we finally cleared an option off the list that's been there for a long time. We saw a title change hands in a win so dominating and one-sided that it resulted in the belt changing hands on a referee stoppage. We're now eliminating that option from the list. So Mm -hmm. for next episode, you have four options, including the three carrying over from last week and one new option added this week to replace the old one. So, Bob, what do you think will happen next week? A, an indie star will make their debut by beating the shit out of CJ Parker. B, Kevin Owens gets so sick of Alex Riley's shit that he hucks him over the commentary table. C, 
just a handful of years removed from appearing in the main event of WrestleMania, a former main roster superstar returns to the ring in NXT, where Kevin Owens calls them dumb and threatens to end their career, or D, hometown hero Dolph Ziggler makes a surprise appearance on NXT, but unexpectedly sticks around for months and becomes a part of storylines, rather than pulling a Curtis Axel and vanishing after losing twice. Um, well, pretty sure it's indie star thing, because there was glitching stuff happening, so. Okay. And they were like, oh, next week a thing's going to happen, and... So I presume this is them using their pay-per-view time to go like, no, no, come keep, keep coming back. All right. So your guess is next week, an indie star will make their debut by beating the shit out of CJ Parker. Um, all right. Well, we'll find out next time uh, whether that is the next big thing or not. Go to our Patreon. Not just because that's where you can donate to support the show, which is how it gets made. But also because there's free shit there. Like, we have some stuff up that you can just go get that's, like, not... uh, We're not putting it out on the main feed. But Chris and I talked about all kinds of things for a very long time. The Gimmick Battle Royal was recently discussed. Who knows what we're going to talk about next? You have got to go over to patreon.com slash nextwrestlingfan and go get you some of that in your pod goodness. Otherwise, you know what you should do? You should stretch and you should drink some water. Yeah. Uh, I picked up the line from that you mentioned on commentary earlier. Pardon me just a minute. I thought I was done chewing, but I'm not. <laughs> I know, you're new to having a mouth. (laughs) Are you an Andalite? Are you like Axe? Like, wait, did you ever read the Animorphs books? Uh, No, but actually, uh, Katrina promoted our podcast work to a couple of local podcasters in Ashland who have an Animorphs podcast that I've been listening to. Um, (gasps) Yeah, no, you're, you're you're a bit of an Axe.